Hello, podcast listeners. I'm Brad Morgan, and thank you for choosing from the head of the bed. We are your podcast for the anesthesia community. Today, we have a special guest with us to discuss a topic of interest to both new and experienced providers, and that's the financial aspects of freelancing. I'd like to welcome Jeremy Stanley to the podcast. Jeremy is a certified financial planner and president of CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that has been offering financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families for over 18 years. Jeremy is also the author of The Wealthy CRNA, which offers insights into becoming a financially successful CRNA. So Jeremy, can you first start off by telling me a little bit about CRNA Financial Planning? CRNA Financial Planning came about really um, out of working with one CRNA, and we kind of grew it from there, Brad. You know, it was something I didn't even know what a CRNA was in the beginning, and then we uh, we started working with one, and then two, and then a hundred, and then kind of moved forward from there. All of our advisors are certified financial planners and accredited investment fiduciaries. Um, and as you said, we've got almost two decades of doing nothing but working with CRNAs, so we have an advantage out there in the community. A few years ago, we became an ANA uh, member advantage partner. Um, which has meant a whole lot to us. Um, And we have clients all over the United States, literally from North Carolina, where we're based, to California, and, uh, you know, from Texas all the way up to North Dakota. All of our advisors are affiliated with LPL Financial, which is the largest independent broker-dealer in the country, and that's as reported by Financial Planning Magazine, based on total revenue. So you say you weren't even, at one point in time, aware of what CRNAs um, do, but what are types of work that CRNAs can do? Well, you know, it's an interesting environment that CRNAs are practicing in currently. Um, Obviously, with the Affordable Care Act and what that means to a CRNA and, uh, you know, just the things that have happened over the years between CRNAs and anesthesiologists, um, it's made CRNAs look at different options. Um, And when you say types of CRNAs, you know, we've kind of classified different types of CRNAs. You've got the CRNA that goes to the same place at the hospital, um, parks in the same spot, collects a paycheck, and goes home. Um, and that's their mentality. Um, then you've got those CRNAs who are more business-minded who may look to accept more risk and really start their own practice in terms of freelancing. And then you've got CRNAs that are somewhere in between. Um, and really that's what we're going to talk about today are those CRNAs that want to freelance um, but have no idea how to get started or the things they need to set up to get them there. So you mentioned freelancing. Um, why might you freelance? Why should one CRNA choose to be that type of CRNA? Yeah, well, you know, I think first you've got to have the right mentality as a CRNA to be able to do that. And then what you are really is what the government classifies as an independent contractor. Um, gives you a lot more freedom and flexibility of when to work. And, uh, you know, most CRNAs are type B, laid-back personalities, you know, they, uh, and, and Brad's laughing now. Um, but, you know, most CRNAs want to be in control. I'm married to a CRNA, so I can definitely say that. Um, how much do you want to work? You know, how much vacation time do you want to work? You know, are you working to live or living to work? Um, and, and I think that's one of the things you've got to answer as your career gets going. Um, and as we'll see just in a little bit, um, you obviously have the potential to make more money when you freelance, but you've got to understand the numbers and know how to break that down. Um, and as I said, you know, being married to a CRNA gives me some definite insight into what goes on in the community. I can imagine so. Um, and mentioning more money, that seems like an advantage. Are there any other advantages? Yeah, actually, there are a lot. You know, you mentioned more money. You got a potential higher hourly rate, um, which is obviously enticing to a lot of CRNAs. Um, We mentioned earlier the scheduling flexibility of choosing when you want to work and and how you want to work. 
Um, one of the big things from our end, you know, being financial life planners, um, is it allows you to save a lot more for retirement. Um, and we'll go into that in a little bit detail, a little more detail in a bit. Um, you also have potential business expenses and possible tax deductions that you might not have if you're an employee of a hospital and a W-2 employee. Um, and one of the things we try to get across to CRNAs is you don't have to give up your job being W-2 at the hospital in order to freelance. Um, you know, you can do this on the side, and it still makes sense to do some of the topics we're going to talk about today. And obviously the last thing, and we hit on that just a few minutes ago, is it puts you back in control, um, which again, given the personality of most CRNAs, um, seems to make a lot of sense. Sounds like a lot of advantages, but are there any disadvantages? Well, obviously, with everything, there's a there's a flip side, and one of those is that we always get is you know how do I find work as a CRNA? Um, you know, if I'm not going to the hospital and preparing each day for those cases at the hospital, who's going to give me a job? Um, how do I run a business? Um, you know, and that's another thing that most CRNAs didn't go to business school and they don't understand a lot about business. Um, so those are things that we obviously help our clients with on a daily basis. Um, if they're going to um, incorporate. Obviously, there's some cost considerations that they have there. What are the legal setup fees? Um, their professional insurances, your malpractice insurance. Um, who pays those costs and how do you negotiate those contracts? And then if they're W-2 now and they decide they want to give up that W-2 position to go full-time freelance, obviously the benefits you have as a W-2 employee, um, you need to put some sort of dollar factor to that. Your life insurance that you're given there, your health insurance, um, your 401k or 403b match. Um, you know, a lot of companies provide you with disability insurance. Um, there's a FICA match in there and, and a lot of other things that you really have to equate down to a dollar figure. Hmm. Very interesting there. Um, so most nurses probably worked as a W-2 at some point in time in their nursing career and understand how they get paid that route. How does getting paid for a W-2 go compared to a 1099? Well, one of the first things you really got to look at is what the payroll tax is. And, you know, we hit FICA tax just a minute ago. Um, FICA tax is made up of two different taxes. One is for Medicare, uh, which is 1.45%. And then you got Social Security, which is 6.2%. The 1.45% goes on indefinitely, no matter how much money you make. Uh, but the 6.2 goes away after you make $118,500. And that's what the employer provides. Um, so the employer is stuck paying that 7.65%. But there's also a flip side of that. You as an employee have to pay 7.65%. So up to 15.3% in FICA tax. So that's something you need to give consideration if you're going out on your own and freelancing is that you would be the employer and you now have to pay that 7.65 in addition to your 7.65. And if you're freelancing, you're making a lot of money, you're doing a lot of work, um, there's actually another surcharge out there, 0.9% to pay for the Affordable Care Act. Obviously, those types of things you want to be made aware of and understand how to combat that in the future. Uh, but just to give you an example, let's say you're currently making $65 an hour, then your regular income would be about $135,200 annually. Let's say you've got a 401k match of 3% and they match that dollar for dollar. You've got to equate that back to an hourly benefit for you. Um, so we divide the $4,056 by 2,080 hours, which is 40 hours a week 
sometimes 52 weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, then we could quantify that to an hourly rate. Um, and we do that with your health insurance. Uh, we do that with your disability insurance, the FICA tax, paid time off, and then you equate everything back to an hourly rate. And then you know what your hourly equivalent is. So if you're making $65 an hour and everything else is worth $15 an hour, then you've got to make more than $80 an hour before that freelance job makes sense for you. You encompass that along with um, obviously the flexibility of schedule and so forth, and it makes a big difference. And, and this is a hypothetical example, and it's really not representative of any specific information, um, but you really do need to get individualized tax advice um, on these matters. Yeah, the other thing, you know, as a W-2 employee, we always get questions uh, from CRNAs is, you know, how do we save on taxes and what deductions are there for a W-2? Well, obviously, you can deduct um, your children, if you want to call that a deduction. I tend to think that's more of an expense than a deduction. Um, You can itemize some deductions, such as charitable contributions and um, maybe your state taxes, local taxes, real estate taxes. You know, but outside of that, there's not a lot you can do to lower your income as a W-2 employee. And then depending upon how much money you're making, you could bump up against what's called the alternative minimum tax. Are you familiar with this, Brad? I'm not. Okay. You will be one day. Yeah. <laughs> um, basically, what it is, individuals with higher incomes can be subjected to the AMT tax, which was really designed to keep wealthy taxpayers from using loopholes in the tax system to avoid paying taxes. And what it does, it really it disallows a lot of the deductions that are available under the regular tax system. So if you can think of the AMT as kind of a shadow tax, it works in coordination with the regular tax system, and this is an alternate tax system. So if you're not paying enough one way, um, then you go under the AMT tax and they actually take your deductions down and you pay a kind of a flat rate tax system. Um, And it affects a lot of CRNAs out there, depending upon what your income is, and especially if you're a dual-income household, these are things you really need to understand and stay on top of. You know, but as a 1099, there's a lot of other things that you can do. You can actually take business expense deductions um, that you don't have available to you as a W-2, and that sometimes can lower your tax basis um, on a yearly income tax basis. So if I was going to do this 1099 thing that you're talking about here, how would I set it up? What are some of the different business structures uh, that, that you know of? Well, you know, a newly formed small business has several different options of of legal structures in which they're going to operate that business. Um, There are three really popular types of business structures. One, you've got sole proprietorship, Uh, you've got the S corporation, Um, you've got the limited liability corporation or LLC. Uh, These are really simpler for tax and business filings than the traditional C corporation, but they have major differences in how they're legally treated. Um, C corporations, most of the time you don't see that in the CRNA community except on a very specialized basis. So these are really the three. Um, You know, legal personhood, and I think this is a big component of why people incorporate. You know, sole proprietor is your traditional one-person operation. I'm going out and I'm providing a service. Um, I'm getting paid for that service. Um, It's your mom and pop shop, although only one of these people can actually be the sole proprietor. Um, The business doesn't exist as a separate legal entity. Instead, really, the single person is the business. 
Um, and they've got to account for all business expenses and income on their personal tax return. Um, S corporations and LLCs are really created entities that, which is, here's the key component, that they're separate from the individual. Um, and they can provide some legal protections for its owners. For example, a sole proprietor's personal assets are theoretically at stake if his business fails or if they're sued or a case goes wrong. Um, Owners of an LLC, however, are typically not personally responsible for the debts of the business, which is a big, huge difference there. Then you've got taxation issues. As a sole proprietor, um, you've got some specific things that really don't apply to S corporations and LLCs, but they're similar um, in the fact that all income that is coming into the business flows through the business to the owners of the business. In the case of the sole proprietor, there's really no distinction between business income and personal income. Same thing. S corporations and LLCs, though, really have different methods of accounting for profits uh, from the revenue after expenses. Um, and there, basically, there's several different ways to take income out of an S corporation. Um, you know, you can take income out as what you would get typically as a W-2 employee, or you can take a distribution. And distributions out of an S corporation are not subjected to the FICA tax that we talked about earlier. Um, but the IRS gives us some leeway there, and they say, well, you've got to take what's a reasonable salary. Well, the reasonable salary is between you and your accountant um, because the IRS doesn't say what that is. So you've got to make sure that you're working with the right professionals when it comes to that. Um, and then you've got C corporations, as we talked about before. And the problem with C corporations is that money is subjected to double taxation. Um, you know, once the money comes in, the corporation is taxed at the corporate level, and then we try to get it to you as the business owner, it's taxed again. Like I said, for most CRNAs, C corporations probably aren't the route to go. You got different paperwork and filings. The the sole prop is is really the simplest business to create. Um, you basically just acquire a business license and register the business name which you operate, and that's pretty much it. Um, S corporations and LLCs are separate legal entities, um, so you've got to do some state paperwork filings along with regular paperwork each year, pay fees to the government obviously, um, to maintain, maintain the corporation, and you've got to do some books and records each year. Um, and then you've got different ownership structures. As a single person, that's the only one that can be an owner of a sole proprietor, it's just one person. Um, they may operate as partners, but in the eyes of the law, only one person is the real owner. S corporations can have multiple owners, um, all their limitations on the number of stockholders and investors, unlike C corporation can have any number of stockholders and investors, and that's typically what you see listed companies out on the stock exchange as. In most jurisdictions, at least two people are required to form an LLC. However, certain states allow, allow an LLC to be formed as single-member LLCs. And, and then there's different state variations. Sole props and S-corporations are recognized under federal law. Uh, and as a result, most states have standardized their own laws to minimize the variation under S-corporations and sole proprietors. But LLCs fall under state law. So if you've got listeners out there listening in other states, just have them realize that when they form an LLC, that each state has their own variation to what, that, uh, what has to happen under that LLC. 
And again, they need to make sure that they are consulting with their legal professionals and their accounting professionals to make sure they're getting the right advice for them. So when you say incorporate, uh, what exactly does incorporating mean? Well, really what it is, just a process to form a business. Um, it's a new legal entity that's recognized independently of its owners, and I think that's the key there. Um, and by forming the new organization, the original owners generally receive protection of their personal assets, which is very, very important these days. By becoming its own person under the law, a corporation can also exist beyond its original owners, giving it some durability that might want to pass down to the next generation. So having that protection sounds like something that someone would want to do. So how do you go about incorporating? Well, there's several different ways. But, you know, first you've got to go to your respective secretary of state, depending upon where you're at. There are required state documents that you have to file on your own. Um, or you can seek legal help from a trusted attorney or law firm. And then there's other services out there these days, such as LegalZoom and so forth, that can help you incorporate. You know, you've got to find and choose a name that's available. You typically go to the Secretary of State's website, um, you go to the Corporations Division, and you type in there uh, the name that you're thinking about naming your entity. Um, and if it's available and it's not being used, then you can use that name. There's paperwork you have to file, um, and then you've got to create and put in writing the corporate bylaws. And this is where most people can't do this on their own because there's got to be some legalese in there. So they typically need some help. Because this really talks about you know, how the corporation's set up and how it's run and managed. Then you've got to attain any license or permits that you need in order for your company to conduct business. You know, in North Carolina, you actually have to let the nursing board know that you're operating as a corporation given anesthesia in the state of North Carolina. And a lot of states around the com country, you have to do that as well. So this all sounds great. Um, if I want to try to find some freelance work, you know, what are some ways of finding freelance work opportunities? You know, this is always a difficult thing for CRNAs. Um, you know, you're looking at an average of uh, only about 14% of the workforce that actually does freelance on a yearly basis. But, you know, one way is to contact an anesthesia outplacement services. Um, you know, you can apply for job listings on sites such as gaswork.com, which seems to be one of the ones that a lot of CRNAs use these days. Developing relationships. As a CRNA, you get to know the surgeons and you get to know different groups. Um, and you develop and network those relationships with those surgeons. We're seeing LinkedIn used a lot more these days by CRNAs, and I think that's a great way to find job opportunities out there. A lot of recruiters are recruiting CRNAs from LinkedIn. Um, or us, you know, use us as a resource. We have contacts all over the United States with recruiters and different groups and different CRNAs, um, and we'd be glad to help out. In fact, we do that for a lot of our clients currently. It's wonderful there. But if I'm a freelancer, how do I try to take care of myself as in retirement? Well, you know, there's a couple of different types of plans, and, and typically what we see is if you're 100% freelance, we see a lot of people in what's called SEP IRAs, and a SEP is acronym for Simplified Employee Pension. Uh, these things have been around a long time, but one of the problems with them is that it's only employer contributions. And for 2015, you can put up to 25% of your compensation or $53,000 in a retirement plan, which sounds wonderful, but in order for you to put in $53,000, you've got to make about $212,000 after expenses and take that out as a salary. Um, we use a lot solo 401ks, and everybody's heard the 401k. 
one of the wonderful things about those is that you've got employer contributions plus employee deferrals. For 2015, employer plus employee contributions can be that same $53,000, but if you're over age 50, you can actually contribute $59,000 in the plan. For 2015, you can also contribute $18,000 annually into the plan, and that's part of the $53,000. So I think I get it, but it's a little confusing there. Um, Is there anyone who can give me an example of how this works? Yeah, let's take a look and kind of compare them to each other, and we'll we'll try to paint the picture the best way we can. But let's say you're self-employed and you have the opportunity to set up a solo 401k plan that would allow you to put your $18,000 in, or if you're over age 50, $24,000. And then you also do a profit-sharing match up to 25% of your salary each year for this 401k, which allows you to get the $53,000 into your retirement plan. But let's compare that. Let's say with a SEP, let's say you made $130,000 this year. You know, That's what your salary is. Remember, that can only be employer contribution, and that's up to 25%. So in that scenario, you could save $32,500 in your plan, and that's all pre-tax contributions. With a solo 401k, say you made the same $130,000, and you're under age 50, you can put in $18,000 this year as your contribution. Remember, if you're over 50, you get an extra $6,000 or $24,000 in there. But then you can also, as the employer, you can do what's called a profit-sharing match. And you can put up to 25% of your base salary in there. So whereas with the SEP, remember, you could put 32.5 in. We can put 32.5 in as the employer match here and $18,000 as employee deferral. So in that scenario, you got 50500 compared to the SEP, which only allowed you to get in 32500 So you see how that can aid you in saving for retirement. One of the other things that's really great about the solo 401k is it doesn't all have to be pre-tax. So you can have a Roth provision on the 401k. So the 18,000 that you saved in, Brad, that you're gonna do, and I know you are, um, you know that can be a Roth contribution, which allows you to go ahead and pay the tax on it now and let it grow tax deferred until the time of retirement. So we like that approach for a lot of people. Um, but you can see, you can potentially put a lot more money in the solo 401k if that's your objective. Well, Jeremy, I gotta tell you, this has been very, very interesting. <laughs> this is the one area I think that a lot of CNAs do not get any training in. And as a person who's getting ready to graduate, I very much appreciate you spending the time with us today. Wonderful. Thank you, Brad. Thank you very much.